Awesome. Well, hi, guys. Um, thank you. I'm so honored to be here. Before I even get started, if you guys don't mind, I'm just going to pray for us together and all of you. Sorry, I'm a little echoey. I got it. There it is. Okay. Um, Heavenly Father, we just, we come to you ready to submit our lives, submit our evenings, submit our attention, submit, um, surrender our, just our hearts. And we know that this is a battle that happens and is one in inches and sometimes miles. And we just ask that you would continue doing an incredible work in our lives and our hearts to draw us to you, Lord. And, and we're just grateful for this time. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, and if I have to switch. Oh. You know, I have these. I work at a church where I get to preach, and I've never figured out mics. They're just, they're just never my friend. Can, is that a little better? A little better? Down more? Down more? Is that good? Oh, that's better. Okay, hi. Um, okay, so as it was announced, I work at a church called Hope Community. It's a little church in town, and I just came off staff at Port City Community Church this summer um, to begin work at, as a pastoral resident. So I'm in seminary, and I'm studying uh, theology at Fuller, which is out on the West Coast, so I'm doing it all online. Have any of you guys taken an online class? Okay, it's the weirdest, right? I mean, I have these like Skype calls and it's like I can't tell which one's my professor and half the people are trying to eat secretly and I'm trying to eat secretly and like it's just this awkward, wild thing. I'm like, I'd rather just be in a lecture hall and be like, listen, these are my M&Ms and I'm going to eat them this whole class one by one. And so, um, but it's just this uh, really cool experience. You know, um, I came to faith about, let's see. 2013. I was baptized on my birthday, which is next week, so in 2013, so not that long ago. And ever since then, God has really just put me in a position to share my story, to talk about what God has done in my life, is doing in my life, and kind of keeps pushing me, pushing me, pushing me. And I don't know if any of y'all have ever kind of tried to fight that current in your life, maybe what God's trying to do, or God's drawing your attention to, or what God has for you. And uh, you feel like Noah, right? You're just like, no, please, I'll get on the boat. And it feels like God's always like, nope, you're going to come back this way. And I think a lot of my walk with God, I mean, even coming to faith felt like that kind of a journey. And, and since I've been walking with him, there have been smooth patches in that road, and there have been really bumpy, arduous um, patches. So I've, I've just, it's been an interesting road, and I guess I'm going to share a little bit of that with you guys tonight, and also talk a little bit about what God's will for your life looks like. You guys heard from Dave Holt last week, and he did such a great job of just talking about um, the parable of the sower and the seeds, and what it looks like to have um, soil that's ready for the good word of God, and that is ripe and will produce fruit, because the seed is always good. But it's what, whether or not our hearts are receptive to that word um, that determines how our lives bear fruit. And so um, I kind of want to keep working off that. And I'm going to start by sharing a little bit of scripture with you guys. Uh, it's out of Romans 5. Um, because sequentially, I just kind of want to share what it looked like for me. Um, yeah, I'm in seminary now, and I work for a church, and it looks like I'm a professional Christian, but um, I was about as far from that as was humanly possible when I was your age. I was a college athlete at Wake Forest. I know you have a lot of NC State. Oh, no worries. Oh, good. Um, a lot of NC State speakers, so I'm here to represent the ACC, and uh, 
Um, I was a field hockey player there and played for four years and had a great experience. And every now and then I had this teammate named Lynn, and she would drag me to basically crew on campus. It was called Athletes in Action. And I would sit there with my arms crossed, hoping they would hand out snacks because uh, I had not yet developed a relationship with God. Um, didn't know why I would need one because everything was going pretty well um, under my direction at that time, or so I thought. So kind of where I want to start is in Romans 5. It reads, uh, you see, at just the right time, when you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's how the book of Romans. Um, so that was my, that, that really kind of, this scripture spoke to me when I, when I first came to faith because it took a lot um, of time for me to realize that I needed a savior. Jimmy Switch? Yeah, sorry about that. Y'all, <laughs> sorry, I'm like going to fiddle with that mic the whole night. But um, okay, so, so basically, um, it took a lot for, of my pride. And, and this is kind of what I just want to share with you guys tonight. I know you always get to hear from adults who stand before you and they say, you know, I followed God and God's good and it's great. And, you know, and here's what I have to teach you tonight. I kind of want to, from an adult perspective, say um, sometimes we're a mess, like before we know Jesus and when we know Jesus, and before I knew Jesus, um, on the outside, my life looked pretty awesome, like everything was going the right direction. But it went so sideways after I graduated college. And even through college, I was hanging on by a thread. I was achieving um, a lot like Matt said. His life was kind of set up or designed to be. But um, I would say that my soul, my heart were kind of eroding and so um, as a young person in your age, I was not in your position. I did not have a relationship with God. I was not sinking, seeking his will for my life. I did not uh, really understand what role he could play in my life other than, hey, every now and then from time to time, you got to elbow Jesus and say like, hey, I need your help with this. Thanks. Good. We're good. Okay. Back to my life. Back to my will. And, um, and it took a lot of me just getting leveled and broken and shaken in every dream and everything I put my hope and purpose and worth in getting, getting stripped away. Um, because when I graduated college, I went got a big job in Charlotte, got a big paycheck, figured, okay, money, security, maybe I'll, I'll buy a luxury automobile and I will have made it. You know, I'll be good. So I went on that path, and it was wildly unfulfilling. And I felt myself yearning for something. And because I'd been a college, or, well, the next step was, well, what I must be yearning for is that kind of wild, eat, pray, love life, right? You know, I'm just going to forget the whole corporate world. Who wants that anyways? I'll move overseas. Where's the furthest place? Okay, New Zealand. So I get on a plane, and for the next year, I'm across the world living up this life in New Zealand, which was great. It was fun. But when I got back, I realized, okay, that didn't solve the problem. That didn't scratch the itch. And so I scratched my head and thought, okay, what was, what was the last time I really felt alive and full of hope and worth? Oh, it was when I was playing my sport. Okay, I'll go become a college coach. So I got a job in D.C., started working with American University, and I was coaching up there. And I was pouring into um, these players, and I was giving my life away for this sport. But I, I still knew something was off because 
Well, for one thing, I recruited an athlete who happened to be a Christian, and I could see this thing in her that I didn't have in me, this steadiness, this confidence, this purpose. And I kind of felt like, what wisdom do I have to share with this 18, 19-year-old? Because I feel like she has something that I don't have. And so I'm pouring myself into this sport, into this team, and I'm just, it, it gets to where it doesn't fit anymore. It's uncomfortable. My life is still not fulfilling, and I'm starting to seek other things to fill that void. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have ever done that, where you're like, well, this whole thing's not quite enough. I'm going to reach out over here. So whether it was relationships or partying, and I, you know, you're in, high, in college, you're going to hear this story about partying a lot. Um, if I'm a professional Christian now, I was a professional partier then. So uh, I took that thing to a whole new level. I lived in D.C. I was out, you know, and then I was up, and then I was out again. And it was this ragged, uh, exhausting life that, again, if you saw my Instagram at the time, this is before Instagram, but if you saw my Facebook at the time, you'd think I was having the best time ever. But what nobody could see is I was going home alone and exhausted and um, empty pretty much every night. And I was putting myself in situations that were compromising my integrity, my sense of self, my purpose, my worth, all thinking like, but I thought this was it, right? I thought like if you go and you have the blast and it looks awesome online, that this is going to, you know, somehow drive that sense of I'm, I'm living it, you know? And so I did that and, uh, and things continued to kind of slide. And, and it was crazy because the more things I was putting my hope in, the more geographic moves, the more relationships, the more attempts at happiness, the more whatever the world was showing me, you know, go work for a startup, go be a coach, go do this. Everything I tried doing, it was kind of like I'd, I'd get it on and, and I'd realize, okay, this still doesn't quite fit. It doesn't quite work. And again, I'm not a Christian. I've, I've been exposed to Jesus kind of in very small doses, but I don't, the last place I thought to look for fulfillment and purpose was was faith. And so I get to a place where um, I'm just kind of broken and just kind of weak, and I'm trying to rewrite my story. Okay, I'm going to go to North Carolina. My parents had retired down here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hole up and, and, uh, and re- reset, right? And there was one thing I'd always wanted to do. I'd always wanted to be a full-time fitness instructor. It was something that had always been a passion for me. And so I'm like, yes, I know it'll solve it. Something else I can do. I'll be an entrepreneur. I'll have a fitness studio. And this will, you know, scratch the itch. This will make it all good. This will put all the pieces in order. And so I went ahead and opened a business here in Wilmington, decided to stay. And, uh, and you know, there's always that breaking point where I think God in his mercy says, all right, we're not going to play this, in, this game anymore. You know, I'm not going to let you keep doing this and wasting time because I've got big things for you. I've got things I want. I want a relationship. I want your healing. I want your grace. I want you to experience who I am, and I want to do things with you, whether it's mission or just being part of a church community or family, whatever it is, I have this thing over here for you. And as long as you're over here, C.S. Lewis has that great quote, you know, about how we're dallying over here and he has this great, beautiful thing for us over here and we keep choosing this. And in his mercy, sometimes he rips us out. And it, you know, if you're like me and you're stubborn, it takes really big things to rip you out. And I know none of you are like that because you're sitting in this room, so your ears are already attentive, your eyes are already open to maybe who Jesus is in your life. But for me at that time, he ripped me out. And that happened through the loss of my mom. And I actually, I share my story a lot, and I don't, I don't tell all the parts of it. But I will say, um, when I worked on staff at Port City, Mike Ashcraft used to always say something along the lines of, either you'll be humbled by his grace, 
the Lord's grace and his beauty in your life, or he's going to go ahead and humble you by circumstance. So he'll do whatever it takes to get your attention. And like I said, if you're attentive and your eyes are open, you'll see his mercies and you'll be wooed by them. Do you know what I mean? There's going to be your heart leaning towards his heart. And you're just, you're going to be captivated. But when, when we don't have those eyes to see or ears to hear, he'll have to often do things to really get our attention. And it's his mercy and it's his grace, but it's also, and it's his provision. But it, it doesn't always feel great. And so losing my mom and going into that season of grief and having literally no anchor in my life was that ultimate breaking point. And I say this all to work to that first slide, which is, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like, I still can't fully get my head around the fact that I was running as far the other direction as possible from God, and the whole time he was one step behind me, or 20 steps ahead of me. I don't know. Goes before you, stands behind you, is all around you. But he was there with me, protecting me, waiting for me to just turn and go, okay, I'm ready. Okay, I'm here. I'm going to acknowledge you. I'm going to surrender to you. I'm going to accept that maybe you would be a better Lord of my life than I am. And it took me kind of ruining what I thought I had or what I had being ruined for me to put myself in, I would say, give myself a chance at accepting somebody else's control and domain over my life. And so that's my life before Christ. It was just one thing to the next, exhausting, slightly train wreckish, looks good on Facebook, but you can see the loneliness and the despair kind of in between the lines. And so after that loss, um, I found myself in a really dark place and with a lot of shame and guilt over the way my life had been. Because at Wake Forest, we were really successful. I was an All-American, and um, we were national champions a couple years I was there. And I just, people would say, okay, your life has a lot of potential. And I'm sitting there looking at it going, I don't see that anymore. Literally, I, I don't actually think there's anything left much to salvage. I have just broken friendships and broken relationships and, you know, jobs that fell into despair. And, I mean, I'm supposed to be further along by now. And... It was only that place where I kind of looked at my life like a crumpled up sheet of paper that was willing to give it to Jesus. Like, well, there's not much left, so whatever you want with it kind of thing. And um, I had people in my life who'd been praying for me, apparently, um, and mentors and folks who were kind of hanging around my life who knew that this was the moment, and they swooped in, and they invited me to church, and they discipled me, and they brought me food, and they listened to me cry about my mom, and they they were there for me. And I, I read a few books and started um, pursuing God's word and got into the Bible, and something clicked. All of a sudden, that thing I'd been looking for, I thought, I realized, I think it might be here. And then the other thing that just blew my mind is, I think if I have this, it's not going to matter what else I have. So whether I get married in the next two years, or get that dream job, or live in that perfect geographic location, or anything that I thought would be, you know, kind of what would bring life to my li- life. I realized that if I have this, I think the rest is going to be kind of superficial. It'll just be a bonus. You know, it'll be like, you got the steak dinner, and that's Brussels. I mean, nobody really cares about the Brussels anyways. It's all about the steak, you know? And I, I, I got to that place of, um, of acceptance, radical acceptance. And it was a sweet, sweet couple years with God. And, and I was able to really process through what is written in Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you you a heart of flesh. 
and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And so I picked this verse because that became my life verse. When I first came to faith, I had a hard heart. I had a stony, stony, thorny heart that was full of bitterness and anger and disappointment and despair and insecurity and frustration. I was not um, one of those people who you met who was full of joy or, you know, kindness necessarily. I was, I was on edge. And I prayed that God would take that heart that I knew was stone and hard and brittle and that he would make it alive again. And if you guys have never seen that verse, I mean, it's just such a beautiful promise to what he wants to do with our hearts to transform them so that then they can not just live fully and beat the way they were designed to, but be useful in the kingdom of God. And so I prayed that prayer every day, and I memorized that verse, and I began my walk with God, my life with Christ. Um, and, and I don't know, I, you know, when I listen to the other messages, and I've been connected to crew in the past, and followed y'all's ministry, um, I know a lot of folks have a relationship with God and grew up in the church, and I know a lot of you guys have roommates or friends or teammates who don't have any relationship with God. Maybe they're like me, and they were completely unchurched kids who have no idea what this whole gospel thing is, and, um, and you guys, I, I mean, when I was praying about this message, what was really overwhelming to me was, was what I wanted to tell you guys is stay faithful, is to stay in this. Because the main kind of message of the first half of my life is, is that you think these other things will satisfy, and you can go chase after them. But not only will God call you back and put you right where you're supposed to be, because his will for your life is for you to know him and love him and serve him and love your neighbor as yourself. But not only that, but you guys have made a promise to him, and he's made a promise to you, just like in Ezekiel. And he's going to see that promise through. And there are going to be so many times in the next 10 years or 20 years where you are particularly going to be interested in what life outside of faith looks like. You're going to say, I wonder if I could take this faith thing off just for now. Just put it over here. Just go try over there. And I was telling Reese before I came up here, if I could beg, if I could get on my knees and tell you guys that it's not worth it, I would. Because honestly, I lived my whole life in that space, and it racked up anxiety, and it racked up pain, and it racked up sadness, and it racked up anger, and it, it brought me to that stony, hard heart that Jesus was always trying to get his hands on. And when I came to faith, you know, some people come to faith on the mountaintop, and there's just that switch. I came to faith at the bottom I had no money. The business was disastrous. My life was disastrous. I had nothing but a Bible, um, my, my, my dad, um, my brother in New York, and like one friend. And God has faithfully brought in so much restoration and renewal and blessed me with all these things I wanted pre-Christ but didn't know how to get and now have but don't need to be defined by because... I have God. And it was just this crazy thing that when I came to Jesus with nothing, he gave me everything. I didn't have to bring him my works. I didn't have any of those. I didn't have to bring him my perfect church attendance. I'd never been. I just brought him my heart and said, it's broken and worthless. You can have it anyways. And I stand before you, you know, six years later, six years after being baptized. My birthday's next week. It's Halloween. And um, I got baptized in the ocean on that day. Um, 
And when I was baptized, like I said, I was surrounded by like my one friend and my dad and the two Christians I knew. And now, six years later, I'm standing before you saying, it's good. When Jesus says, it's finished, there's nothing you need to do to come to him, that he's come all the way. That's true. And when I say that, listen, I have tried on everything out there, just about everything I possibly could, and none of it fits as well as his love and his mercy and his grace. I mean, that is, that is the, the most bottom of my heart, truest thing I could ever tell you. And like I said, there's going to be those moments where you're going to wonder, and, and that's when I want to remind you um, of what um, he says in Ephesians. So there's a slide. It's Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. Um, and this is actually a little bit about maturity. He says, so Christ gave, him, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for the works of service. So the body of Christ may be built up until all, we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In another verse, he says, I come to give you life and life abundance. And here he's telling us the full measure, the measure of the fullness of Christ. And so what I'm trying to say here, I guess, is that he's not going to stop till he has every corner of your heart. And, and that might not happen until you cross the threshold into eternity. But he is going to be working on, on every inch and every corner of your heart. And the, the most beautiful thing you can do is just offer it up. Um, you don't have to do anything to win it over. You just have to offer it up. And so the last six years of my life have been like, no, no, I still want to hold on to this. No, please don't take that. Oh, gosh, what will happen if I do? And then just loosely opening my hands and letting God have another, another piece of me to redeem, to restore, to renew, to heal. Um, and then seeing what comes out of that has been just incredible. It has been so life-giving. And, um, you know, I guess when I was thinking about this message uh, and what I wanted you guys to hear is that the more you're willing to give of yourself through the next five years, the, the more you're willing to surrender. Not because you're not going to go do that, but because you are going to choose goodness and life and beauty and purpose in Jesus. I guarantee you, you are sowing seeds that will be so fruitful in the years to come. You might not see it now. You might look over it and go, well, what was that for? Just another Bible study, just another community group, just another Sunday at church. But I guarantee you all these seeds that you're sowing and the things that you're making, availing yourself of, will come and bear fruit tenfold in the coming years. And you don't have to worry, well, you know, did I miss out? Did I miss out? Because God's will for your life is never empty or void or missing out. There is delayed gratification, Although it seems like here at Career there's instant gratification because it's really fun and you guys have a great time with one another. But it is, it's something so, so, so much bigger and something I didn't understand until so much later in my life. And now that I'm in a season where I'm starting to kind of reap some of this fruit, some of these friendships, some of this understanding, some of this stability, and some of this hope, um, I definitely do not regret the nights I chose to be with Jesus over be somewhere else. And 
and you know, this is where it gets a little tactical because everybody's wondering, well, what does it look like to be with Jesus? Is it going to a winter conference? Maybe. Is it going on a mission trip? Maybe. Is it going to church when you're not feeling like it because you think there might be something there for you? Definitely. Is it going to sit with a roommate or a friend who's hurting? 100%. Is it serving meals downtown to, to some folks who might not be able to get it for themselves? Yes. Is it bearing with um, a teammate or a friend who's going through a hard season or celebrating somebody who's going through an awesome season? Yes. And those moments where you are investing in what my pastor likes to call like eternity work, that is not only so fulfilling in the now, but it will come back in huge blessings in your life and in the future. And every time you're making a deposit there, every time you're making a deposit you are sowing seeds, the kingdom seeds, that you might get to see bloom in your friends and your families, or you might get to see bloom in your own heart as you mature and you grow. And so that verse in Ephesians about maturity, you know, it is God's will that we would be united, that we'd be one, that we'd have love for one another, and that we'd be mature in knowledge and wisdom of Christ. So, Yes, seeking God in the Bible and watching the Bible Project videos and doing the small groups and doing the studies, it's, it's good and fruitful work. And it's not, I mean, hey, I'm, I'm in seminary, and sometimes it feels like a chore um, to sit down and to study and to be in God's Word. But after it's done, it's, it's like a workout. You're like, oh, I'm better for having done that. I know it. Deep in my bones, I'm stronger and you never know when he's going to use it because you might be some, studying something next week that you don't use for a month, but somebody needs to hear something, and you have it. It's sitting right there. God has put it right on your heart, and you're able to steer or bless them and guide them and love them in a way that's supernatural. And if anybody's ever received kind of that supernatural, agape, unconditional God love, you know that it's priceless. It's not an opinion. It's not... Um, you know, like a nudge in one direction. It's, it's like that mic drop wisdom that you chew on for three weeks and that you come back to the person and you say, wow, that altered the course of things for me. That, that was a game changer. And you might be able to get used in somebody's life in that capacity because of what God is sowing into you. And that is a gift that you want to make yourself available to be a part of. Um, I just have a few more minutes, so I just kind of want to point to one other thing, and it's pretty abstract, and uh, I would, I like to use the term, kind of like half-baked in my mind, but, but Jesus came to, to announce the kingdom. He came to usher in the kingdom. He was, he is our new king, right? And he came in meekness. He came um, to the poor. He came to the lame. He came to the hurting, and he came to the, um, the ones who would ask and knock and seek, and and when he came bringing the kingdom, it was an upside-down kingdom, you know, where the weak were the strongest and the last were first and those who served were exalted, right? And I'm always looking, at, looking for these, I call them like little kingdom, kingdom signs. And I was at Social Coffee the other day, and um, a, a group of folks from AA or NA Recovery Group were meeting outside the building. And they were loud, and they were laughing, and they were wild, and they were diverse, and they were joyful, and they were um, embracing one another. And they were celebrating their new life in sobriety and with God and with each other, and it was gorgeous. And 
sometimes we don't, we're looking for the kingdom moments in very specific ways, you know, just in Bible study or just in prayer, or just in worship, but the kingdoms that work all around us. It can be in the song. Another beautiful time I saw kingdom. My brother lives in New York and was on a, a train going out to the Bronx, and it was late, late, late at night. And there's a lady, a Jewish lady, very, you know, I think orthodox, and she's wearing all the clothes. And next to her is this Puerto Rican lady, and she's got two kids, and the kids are going nuts. It's like way past their bedtime. One's crying. One's on the floor of the little subway. And the Jewish woman looks over, and she grabs the kid who's on the floor and holds her, and that kid falls asleep on her lap for the next three train stops. And I'm just sitting across from them watching these two folks love each other unconditionally, fully, embracing, bearing with one another, total strangers on a train heading out of Manhattan. And I'm like, I think that was kingdom. Like, I think that was, I think that was God. You know, and it didn't really look the way I had been trained to see him, but I, I was developing a sense that he is truly everywhere in our lives, through our lives, working. And so my prayer as I leave you guys is, is from Ephesians, the first chapter. And, and my prayer is that you would develop kingdom eyes. Because if Jesus is our king and he's come to set in motion this whole new order, then only when we are truly you know, growing and maturing and connected to him, will we develop the kind of eyesight that he has. And that's an eyesight to do certain things and step into certain opportunities, their kingdom opportunities that nobody else is noticing. And there, it's going to be a kind of eyesight to see the kingdom at work around us in these incredible, nuanced, subtle, small, beautiful ways. And it's going to be eyes to see um, what he's doing in your own life and transforming your heart. Um, a year ago, I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay in ministry. I was kind of doing the Noah thing again, and I was kind of getting itchy. And, you know, God's will for your life is that you stay connected to the vine and that you keep seeking him even when you're in a dry spell. And as I wrestled and as I fought and as I tried to do the Noah thing and get back in the belly of the whale, he kept pulling me out and pulling me forward and pulling me deeper and pulling me in and pushing me into a whole new community where I would be stretched and learned and grown even deeper into his character. And it's just, it's such a faithful, beautiful thing to be a part of. You know, I don't, I know that that advocate in Jesus was always there before I accepted him, when I was like running around being crazy and just living for myself. But partnering with God in this life and submitting to his way better idea has been the biggest adventure, better than living in New Zealand or moving all around or having all those jobs. I mean, I literally could do this, stand before you guys for the rest of my life and be completely fulfilled because I have the hope and joy of Jesus. Even in the rougher spots or the drier spots, it's still a hundred times better than those times without him. Um, so I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you have been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. That's you guys, his holy people, his rich inheritance. And I pray that your eyes will be opened, that your hearts will be enlightened, that your ears will hear the kingdom calling and your king calling you into relationship with him and with others. Um, I'm going to pray for us and close. Lord, I just, I'm so in awe of everyone in this room who is seeking you now. I, 
I pray that each one of them will have a, a name of somebody come to their mind who maybe they wish had a relationship with you or they know is on the verge of thinking about you or, um, and that you would make them ambassadors, that you would make them messengers of your gospel, and that you would use them to plant seeds uh, that will sprout later in their hearts, that they would be fishers of men in this season, and that you would keep drawing them closer. Even if they try to wiggle away or wrestle away, Lord, remind them that your goodness is much truer, much better, much deeper, much higher, um, much more valuable than anything else. And we pray this with Jesus' name. Amen.